Welcome to Let's Be Well Together podcast. We're your wellness check-in team. Join us each week or when you can. We enjoy exploring wellness concepts and reminding you to make time for wellness. This is episode 106. Welcome to a new week on Let's Be Well Together podcast. It's Elise Seifert and today I'm joined with Sheila Webster. Hi Hi, Elise. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. What's on your mind? Well, today I was hoping that we could talk about a hobby that we're both very interested in, and that hobby is reading. Yeah, you got me hooked on the library app, which is called Libby. Libby. So it has both Audible and e-reader options. I really enjoy the audio version, and Elise is enjoying the visual one, where she's getting the the e-readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I started it with my iPad and now I've moved on to a Kindle and that's how I use it. I really love that I can read in my bed at night without a bedside lamp. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I really like it too when I'm reading that it saves your spot. When you open it up, it's right where you left off, which is really cool. Really cool. And then you can also adjust the font, which mm-hmm. you can't do with a physical book. So that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. I know For some people who have eye issues, that really helps them to be able to read more accessibly. Mm -hmm. And I also think I read faster using e-readers for some reason. I'm not sure why, but Hmm. it just seems to work better for me. That's interesting. Yeah. So for me, I'm in, I work in a vehicle, so I'm in my car 10 hours a day. So I really enjoy it. Just kills the time by listening to these books. And I love the different accents that these professional readers have. They're just, I guess they're actors, but they are amazing. I'm really enjoying that. And I think that they do a better job than I would reading it. So I really enjoy that. And and I feel like it's, it sends me to a different place. And I really enjoy it. So amazing. And it's all free. It's all free. on the, You just have to have a library card. And then yeah. you download the app and there you go. I know. And we have talked about that a lot. But today we're going to talk about reading. Talk about reading. And today we really want to focus on how reading helps to support our mental health. So I found an article that helps to support what we've learned through reading. And this article is called Benefits of Reading Books, How It Can Positively Affect Your Life. The article is found on Healthline. It was written by Rebecca Joy Stanborough, and it was actually medically reviewed by a doctor named Heidi Mowit, and it was published on October 15th, 2019. Cool. So this article does talk a lot about many different ways that reading can help support your mental, emotional, and intellectual health. Mm -hmm. But for this episode today, we really just want to focus on how it helps our mental health. Mm -hmm. So according to the article... Reading can help reduce stress and depression. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I thought, thought it was very interesting. Yeah, they said that reading can help to reduce depression because it helps you to feel less lonely. Oh, I completely agree. Because like I said, I'm in the car all alone, driving by myself, and I feel like I'm with people. I feel like I'm involved in the story so much that they're right there with me. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to really get to know different perspectives of different stories, which I love. Mm -hmm. I also think that it makes the time go faster, which sometimes when you're lonely, the time seems to go really slow. So that really helps too, that not only when you're listening, because I listen, you read, when you're reading or listening, you're involved, but 
when you're not reading and listening, you're thinking about what's going to happen or what might happen or, you know, what's the twist. And so it, get, it kind of gets your mind going and gets you thinking about things. So I really do enjoy that. I do enjoy that too. I find reading is totally a form of escape, mm-hmm. which really helps my mental health because it just allows me to let go of my work day, let go of any problems I'm having and just kind of dive into a completely different world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I- on the same hand, this sounds contradictory, but it also helps me to be present. Huh. So it sounds contradictory because I'm saying that it's a form of, of escape, uh-huh. but it also helps me to be present because I can't be focusing on anything else when I'm reading. Yes. Whereas when I'm watching a TV show, yeah, you get the benefits of an interesting story and interesting characters and interesting perspectives, but I could also be on my phone scrolling, scrolling through apps or I could be thinking, oh, I could get some work done right now while I'm watching this TV show. Right. Whereas reading a book requires 100% of my attention. Mm-hmm. I, I think for when I'm listening to the audio version, I can focus on other things, but not too much, right? Like, obviously, I'm driving. So I need to focus on my driving, but I can do that and listen very attentively. Because you do have to listen attentively or read, you know, so I agree with that completely. Have to be present. Yeah. And what kind of books do you find interesting? Well, I like two different types of books, actually. So I do really enjoy the romance books. One of the authors that you introduced me to was Colleen Hoover, and I really am enjoying her books. And often it's in two different characters, like a male and a female character, or it's like now and then then it's going forward and back and forward and back. So you don't exactly know. So I feel like it's definitely romance based, but it's also a little bit of mystery, figuring out what's going to happen, what happened, what was the issue or how it's going to get solved. So I really enjoy those books a lot. I like the Bridgerton series books. I've enjoyed those, but I also like a little bit of a mystery book. So I've been enjoying those as well. What about you? I actually alternate between the same two genres, I would say. Oh, yes. So I alternate between romance and mystery. Right. I love a good whodunit, and I always think I'm going to get it, and then I don't. (laughs) I know, because there's just so many different... I'm sure they write it in that, just for that reason. So to try and get you to figure it out, figure it out, but there's something that they have that flips it, right? So you're not... You know, maybe you'll get it, but usually you just miss something, right? You miss something small. So then you start getting good at looking for those small things. And then you realize that the author omitted something purposefully. So you would never get it. So it's just so much fun to kind of speculate. Yes. And I love to talk about what I'm reading with my husband, Stephen, and we speculate together. So that's a lot of fun. And those are the two genres I would say I really enjoy. Okay. So now when you're talking to Stephen about the books, does he also read them as well? Or does he just listen? Sometimes, sometimes I will recommend that he reads it. I'll, I'll be reading a mystery book that I think he would really enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I don't say too much about it, but other times like romance books, he's not as interested in. So I will just tell him the plot and we'll talk about it. Right. Okay. And he'll add his two cents. Yeah, because that's the same as John and I. We we read completely different books and we do talk about what's happening in the book or that we're at an exciting part in our book or, you know, sometimes the twists and turns. But yeah, we, we generally do not read the same book unless we've really enjoyed it and thought the other one would like it. So it's kind of the same boat. 
which is nice, which is neat that you can find that within certain genres. Yes. Yes. So I really do enjoy that. And both, it's interesting that you and Steven are both reading a lot and both John and I are reading a lot. And now John's into the audio as well. He's enjoying listening to these books. So that's really great. And I did actually just read a book that was a true crime. Wow. Interesting. It was. So he, they did write it in a story form, but it was an actual true crime that happened. And this author actually found out about it and then just wrote about it. I thought that was really interesting, but not quite as twisty turny as a, a, you know, as a fiction would be. Yeah. Not quite as twisty turny as one of those, but it was interesting. I, I, I liked it, but I enjoyed the fake ones better. I think they're just more fun. But it's just really fun to see how many different genres there are out there. And there's really a niche for everyone. I agree. Yes. I do find that it takes time out of your day to read, but I definitely think it's beneficial. So if you can find time, like sometimes you can do them, do two things at the same time, like you said, but helps you relax and go to sleep or go for a walk while you're reading. I think it's really great if you can do a little bit of reading in your life. It adds so much yeah, to your mental health. Yeah, I like to think health. of it as an investment into myself. Me too. Guests are giving their time, expanding our minds. Today's interview is in the category of intellectual wellness, and we welcome back Ryan Bush. I finally found someone who I can chat with about why it's great to learn about philosophy, even ancient philosophy. So welcome back, Ryan. Thanks for having me again, John. You'll recall that Ryan is a thinker, author, and designer focused on building better systems, better people, and better futures. His background is in the design of systems. He's worked with tech startups to design and develop everything from physical products to software to buildings and business models. He's had a lifelong interest in introspective investigation, ravenous reading, and obsessive self-optimization. And for many years, Ryan's has studied the insights of ancient teachers, practical philosophers, and cognitive scientists. He's written two books, the first, Designing the Mind, helps readers understand the workings of their own minds and the keys to sculpting them. We talked about his second book, Become Who You Are, in episode 97. It's about the psychology of well-being and concepts connected with happiness. It will be for sale in February 2024. Okay, Ryan, so some things about me. I'm extremely curious. I love brainstorming. I'm interested in life's big questions. And lastly, I really enjoyed studying philosophy. And it's this last point I'd like to speak with you about. What got you interested in philosophy? Yeah, so from a really early age, I'm just kind of wired to ask a lot of these big questions, I think. And I was asking them by myself for a long time and just kind of inquiring into my own mind, seeing what I could observe and change in my own thought patterns and emotions and kind of starting to take notes and figure a lot of this stuff out. And at some point, I sort of discovered philosophy. I think I actually remember seeing this sort of video on the the 10 dimensions or imagining the 10th dimension, which is kind of a philosophical video. And it just got me so curious. And I was like, where can I find more of this? And I started going on Wikipedia binges, I call it, and just opening, you know, hundreds of tabs at a time and, you know, going down all these rabbit holes of learning about new concepts and new philosophical distinctions and I was absolutely captivated by it. I loved it. Sorry, what what age are we talking about? 
14, 15. Oh my gosh. Uh, that just, it ages me because kid. <laughs> it ages me because Wikipedia, I mean, there weren't even really computers when I started studying it, but that's right. amazing that you had that opportunity. Yes, I, I was lucky to have the internet as a third parent growing up, but uh, <laughs> maybe overall, I would say yes. Okay. But <laughs> at some point, I started discovering the really good stuff to me, which is practical philosophy. And I realized that all these notes that I thought I had taken that were so original, there were thinkers who had beat me to them by 2000 years, roughly. I mean, the Stoics, the Buddhists, right? All these different thinkers, Nietzsche. They had many of the same insights that I had uh, sort of stumbled across myself, only they had developed them in much greater depth and, uh, you know, much more eloquently than I had to. And so my work shifted from, I'm going to develop all of these, you know, original insights on transforming our minds to, I'm going to curate a lot of these insights that are already out there and that most people don't know about. I kind of had that issue too, which was in my book, I talk about this epiphany that I had. Obviously, almost anything I've ever come up with, somebody already came up with it. And I know that from having studied philosophy too, that the chances were that somebody's already said what I said and even more eloquently. But I still love the way that you come up with it yourself. You know, I still think it's amazing that I -hmm. had all these experiences in my life and everything percolated and it pops out with this thought. And then it's rewarding then to read it from other people who did the same thing. It's to me, it resonates even more because I'm, I'm reading it and hearing from other people. And Especially when you think about what you said, you know, that everything from Buddhism to philosophers, different ages and whatnot, they're coming up with these similar conclusions on practical philosophy. That's, that tells you a lot, I think. Oh, yeah. And, and human nature and the human mind, they haven't fundamentally changed for the last 10, 20,000 years. And so in some ways, they had as much insight into this as we do today. I mean, they don't have all the modern research, but these thinkers were examining their minds and they were examining the human experience and they were observing, you know, these insights that are, you know, just as relevant to us now. But uh, yeah, I think there's a tendency to dismiss what a bunch of old guys said, even though right. they're talking about you. I mean, even when my dad read the, you know, the third chapter of this new book, that's kind of providing a history of virtue ethics. He, he referred to it as like history. Okay. That's a lot of like history. That's good. It was like, no, this is you right now that we're talking about. It's not history. The way I approach philosophy, I think it's just the way my mind works. And this was both helpful and harmful. But if I read a philosopher, I would try and get into that person's mind. I would try and read the work from their perspective. And their thinking was I would better understand it if I tried to buy into what they were thinking. Mm -hmm. And everything just comes to life from that perspective. Like, yes, some of these people lived over a thousand years ago, but to me, they're kind of alive when I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially with some of the newer translations. I mean, if you go and read, you know, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, that feels like someone is talking to you right now. Like it's a journal that you could have written essentially. So it's really, uh, really an incredible thing when you find a philosopher that resonates with you really closely. When you say practical philosophy, can you give me a sense of what you mean by that? Yeah. So a lot of modern philosophy in in an academic sense is kind of distant from the concerns of everyday life in a lot of ways. So we're slicing up terms and analyzing concepts, but they don't really help us live a better life. The actual meaning of the word philosophy is the love of wisdom. And that used to be what it was about. It was about happiness and living a better life. And I think anytime something comes to be 
a part of the academic enterprise, it starts turning into more about prestige and, and uh, you know, all these tiny microscopic concepts. And so most of what you study in an actual academic philosophy program isn't practical philosophy in the sense that it, you can use it to live a better life. Yeah, you're right. Things like symbolic logic and the construction of arguments and how language affects thinking, lots of stuff like that. I was going to say that I really enjoyed studying ethics. And again, oh, you know, the yeah. last in our last interview, we talked about the concept virtue. And people hear virtue and they think, oh gosh, what's that? Like, <laughs> get, get with the modern age. But it's really alive. You breathe good life into it in your book. Ethics too. Like ethics, people just associate that with religious things or, I don't know, something to that effect. But to me, it's all about doing the right thing, doing the excellent thing, being the best person you can be. And, you know, I'm not a particularly religious person in terms of a, a standard religion, so that it's even more important for me to study this kind of stuff to figure out and explain and un better understand why to do the right thing and why I do do the right thing in that context. Yeah. And, and in some ways, religion is to blame for this, because back in Aristotle's day, you know, ethics kind of meant something different. It was about excellence and about happiness and about living a life that goes well for you. And at some point it became about uh, pointing fingers and transgressions and, you know, following the laws of a, you know, judge who would be evaluating you in the afterlife, essentially. And, and in many ways, uh, even those who aren't religious, they, they still inherit a lot of these ideas that are sort of legalistic in nature. You know, what's my moral obligation what ought I to do? And I don't actually think this is the right way to think about it. I think Aristotle had it right in that we should be asking first and foremost, like, how can I progress my existing motivations? The things that I already want, what's the best way to achieve those? I can come up with an example, like if you really want to win your fourth grade science fair, right? And that's the thing you think you want most. There are ways to cheat on a science fair right now, especially you can use chat GPT to do the whole thing for you. Or you could, uh, you know, you could find a way to engineer that result that you want, cheat on your science fair, win the, you know, first prize. And then, you know, you would think you got what you want, but then you might come to the end of it and say, well, that wasn't really satisfying like I thought it would be. I, I don't have that sense of accomplishment. I feel kind of ashamed of myself. And so the cultivation of wisdom is all about asking, okay, that didn't actually achieve the internal result I wanted in my mind. So, so what can I do that would better serve that outcome? And when you do this, it ends up looking a lot like morality. When you just get better at serving your own self-interest in the way that ancient ethics was sort of centered around, you end up living a, an increasingly saintly life just because you understand the consequences of your actions. You understand you feel much better about yourself when you help other people, right? It actually feels good to do things that are considered moral, but you don't have to sacrifice yourself to do them. You're serving yourself by doing the right thing. We've already touched on this a bit, but if I tell someone I like philosophy, it's not unusual for them to kind of smile and nod and pretend they know what I mean, but secretly they're thinking I'm a bit odd and somebody who's living in an ivory tower and really right. not very practical at all, because mm -hmm. how can you be practical and like philosophy? And, and I don't agree, obviously. I don't have to argue about it with them, but we talked about a couple. Can you think of other areas where philosophy has helped you, Ryan, better understand real life and practical problems, even though it's coming yes. from a philosophical context? Yeah, so Stoicism is always my go-to for this. I mean, the Stoics, uh, 
it sounds to people who aren't familiar with it like it's all about like you know white knuckling through everything and right, not showing know, emotion keep a stiff um, upper and, lip and <laughs> right and really all of these terms that come from these ancient philosophies like epicureanism they they all have total like misconceptions centered around them so what stoicism was really about is cultivating greater control over your emotions right that doesn't mean not having them uh, it just means domesticating them right getting them to where they serve you instead of sabotaging you and that's a a really beautiful thing one of the things that the stoics figured out 2000 years ago that cognitive behavioral therapy just sort of caught up with in the last couple of decades is the fact that our emotions do not react directly to the events in our lives they don't uh, you know react directly to what's happening to us but rather they are mediated by our thoughts and that means that we have a huge lever to control our emotions through the way we interpret what's happening to us and the stories we tell ourselves right so the stoics talk constantly about how you know you can change your interpretation if someone insults you they don't actually hurt you only your own thoughts if you believe what they're saying right if you allow them to uh, weaken your own mental strength uh, that's the only way you're actually going to suffer over it you know if you're angry you you can change that with your thoughts if you're jealous right there are all all these techniques i actually went through meditations not long ago with uh like 20 different colors of highlighter to say this is the technique he's using here this one's this is the one he's using here uh because there's so many tools i sometimes call them psychotechnologies because it's it's literally just a collection of ways to make changes to your own mind so that your emotions and your desires will work in harmony with you essentially i mean i could point to so many others but what i'm getting at with cognitive therapy is it's basically found yeah depression is essentially a, a product of your own thoughts and beliefs about yourself and if you change those thoughts and beliefs you'll change the emotional byproduct of them and so it's an incredibly powerful often overlooked tool that we have all this control over the way we feel and we aren't taking advantage of it most of the time i'm embarrassed to say and i don't know why but i having studied all all sorts of ancient philosophy i really never focused on the stoics when i was at university now Thankfully, even an old guy like me can get with the, the computer world. And, and so I, I'm on Instagram and Instagram has these feeds and they start somehow knowing what you like. And all of a sudden you start seeing stuff you're interested in. And I started seeing a whole bunch of quotes from the Stoics. And one after another, like every day I see a quote from a Stoic and I'm like, wow, that just blew me away. That is just so interesting. And it's just resonates so loudly with me. And what a great thought, you know, I'm going to generalize, but things like you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you react to it. Or things like if you would just stop trying to control what's going to happen to you in the future and accept that something bad could or will, will happen, and then you're better off. And so it's not like just keep a stiff upper lip because terrible things are happening. It's saying don't, don't make it worse. You know, like you're not in pain unless you tell yourself to be in pain about this thing that confronts you. So just out of yep. curiosity, is there a version of meditations that you would suggest reading as a better kind of translation? Yeah, the Gregory Hayes version is excellent. It's very readable to the modern ear. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, just like you're saying, every single paragraph is just a gem. I mean, it's amazing that this guy basically wrote this as a journal to himself. And, uh, and it's just packed with insight after insight. I mean, you can just pick it and, and pick it up and open to a random page 
and point and whatever you point to is pretty much going to speak to you and be full of wisdom. Uh, and so it's, it's extremely relevant today. I, I love Epictetus as well. If you read his handbook, um, that's a very, uh, short, very sort of rational breakdown of the principles. Um, really, really good stuff. Well, that's amazing. I was hoping for some practical tip and those, those ones are terrific. So I'm personally going to try and get both of those books so I can go through them. So here we are at the end of the interview, and you know from the last time we ask every guest the same question. We talk about different areas of wellness, and we all know that we can't keep all our areas up at any given time. So we do essentially a mini wellness check-in. Are you currently neglecting an area of wellness in your life? And if so, can you think of even one thing you could do to foster wellness in that area? Yeah, in the last one I talked about uh, some social areas that I'm neglecting, and I think probably the physical areas I am as well. I mean, I say this after I just got back from rock climbing. So that's not, uh, I don't feel too bad today, but you know, some weeks I go without doing much more than a, a couple of light walks around my neighborhood. And so I think uh, once again, once uh, I'm past some of the intensity of this launch, I'm going to make uh, a much more sort of rigorous, consistent exercise schedule. And I think that's uh, that's that's extremely important even for, even for supporting your mental well-being, uh, it's sort of the the foundation to all that. It's just so easy. Like here I am singing this song over and over and over the importance of physical wellness, and yet I get so busy in life and I get have so many things going on that I let it fall off too. So I I hope you get back into it. I'm actually at a point where I'm looking for a little inspiration to get back into it myself. So I will use your little story as inspiration for myself. <laughs> Two great interviews Perfect. that I really appreciate, Ryan. Keep doing your great work. I'm going to be following what you do. And thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me, John. I'm Cameron, and welcome to another installment of The Adventures of the Starving Artist. I have had to cram so much material into my brain over this week it's a wonder that there's any room in there at all anymore. Um, I turned on full osmosis sponge mode and every spare moment driving from lesson to lesson or home at the end of the day, walking to get groceries with headphones in, every spare moment I was cramming music into my brain that I had to learn. And even though it's a skill that I have developed, obviously because I need it in my profession and I'm pretty good at it, it's still a lot of work, man. Like, it's a ton of work. Uh, in an earlier segment, I told you that I had to learn about four hours of country music, and that is true, and I'm still polishing some of those off. But in addition, I have all the other stuff I have to learn, right? Like, I've got uh, everything for all of my students, the one-on-one -on -one stuff. I have a handful of things for the group courses that I'm running through. Um, I've got my own stuff that I'm still trying to go through, Um there's a short film that's been on and off again, on and off again because of COVID and delays and shooting location changes and staffing changes and, and all that. That's finally coming to a point where they're ready to start really throwing my music on it. So that's all had to be repolished. It's been a lot of learning and relearning and dusting off tunes this week. And I have to tell you, as much as I love it, I'm really tired. I'm running out of steam a little bit. However, there's this beautiful thing about music and it's that even if you're not in the mood for one kind, you're probably in the mood for another kind. There's a song for everything. There's a genre for every feeling and every moment. And thankfully, 
my tastes are wide enough that I can usually find something I'm ready for. So right now, for example, the last things that I need to be listening to before I go absolutely crazy are country music, choral music, and honestly, and some of you might kick me for this, the Beatles. I'm starting to burn out on some of those Beatles hits, the basic ones, uh, just because they come up so frequently and in lessons and stuff. All this to say, as I'm sitting here, I had just rolled in from my last lesson. It's about 10 after 8 in the evening, and I'm really looking forward to being a bit of a person tonight in that I'm going to go hit up an open mic uh, and just let loose, play, you know, three songs that are totally untethered to anything I have to do, and instead just play stuff that I want to do. And every so often, you have to remind yourself that that's allowed, and you should encourage yourself to do that. And in my case, I've been trying to do better on that sort of thing this year. So, this is me saying hello. I hope you're having a fabulous evening. I'm about to go disconnect from work and things I quote-unquote have to do and go play some tunes for myself. And with any luck, a handful of people will be listening and maybe they'll like it too. I hope you find a chance this week to dive into something just for you, whether it's you know, an open mic like me, or maybe you're going to go paint something, cook a cool meal, experiment with a recipe, get funky with baking. I don't know. Go for it. Do something for you this week. For now, that's all I've got. I'm going to hustle myself down to the Glebe Central Pub in this frigid winter evening and play a couple tunes. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Cameron. This is The Starving Artist. Until next time. We love our listeners and thanks for joining us. Please help spread the word about Let's Be Well Together podcast. Follow us and rate us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Instagram at let's.be.well.together and let your friends know about us. Move that body like we're meant to do. Hey, Elise, I want to tell you about this challenge that I'm starting to do. Oh, I love a good challenge. Yeah. Tell me all about it. So I heard on the radio that for the month of February, there's a push-up challenge. You're supposed to try and do 2,000 push-ups in the month of February. Whoa, that's I, a lot of push-ups. I know, that's a lot of push-ups. So I was like, oh my gosh, 2,000 push-ups. So I decided I'm going to try because I heard it. I think I heard it in the end of January that this challenge was up. And it's actually the Mike Farwell show that I heard it on, 5.70 a.m. I listened to. And he said that, he, you know, he's not very good at push-ups, but he's doing them. And I'm like, you know what? If he can do it, I think I can do it. So You can do it. I can do it. So we'll see how it goes because I am doing a certain amount every day. So I kind of did yeah. the math. And I'm doing 75 push-ups every day. That's a lot of push-ups. Yeah. I know that February is a shorter month, right? So 2,000. Yeah, 2,000 push-ups. Almost 100 a day. <laughs> almost 100 a day. The math, I did the math, and I think if I do 75 a day, I'll get done before the end of February, and it'll give me a little bit of leeway if I miss a few. But there is only 28 days in February. But did you know that it's a leap year this year? 
Ooh, I get so it. we have an extra day. <laughs> we have 29. So I do have an extra day, but I did the math, whereas 2000 divided by 28 is less than 75, 73 point something, I think. So, so you'll be a little over, hopefully. Hopefully I'll be a little over or, you know, like I won't be ridiculously behind. <laughs> I don't know. Because it's hard. I don't know how Can many- you do 75 push-ups in one sitting. I can't even do more than 10 at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I have, it's been through a few days now that I've been doing them. And I do feel like I'm getting stronger because the very first day that I started, 10 was a lot. And so what I did was I would do 10 push-ups and then go about my day. So I woke up, I did 10 push-ups. Then I went and had my coffee and da, 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 da And I'm like, okay. Then I, before I went to the gym, I did another 10 pushups. Then I did my 30 minute cardio, went upstairs, did another 10 pushups. Then every time I did a machine, which is like three reps of what I'm doing, I would then do 10 pushups in between each one. Okay. So you probably fit those 75 in pretty easily between all of those sessions. Exactly. Really easily. Uh, the problem that I have is either you got to pull out a mat every time then that means that I've got to wash that mat every single time, right? Because put it back and then go to another machine or I had to put my hands on the floor. Yes. And that's what I decide to do. Just put my hands on the floor and just do the push-ups, and then go wash my hands every single time. Right. So that's a little um, bit time consuming, but I just felt like that was the fastest way to do it, right? Because I didn't want my hands that were on the floor then touching another machine. Right. Of course. Right. Just very kind of you. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I just have issues with that. So I'm like, now that COVID's over, I do feel like I'm a little more aware about spreading germs and how not to spread germs. So that's beneficial, but yeah. How many push-ups do you think you can do? In one setting? Oh, yeah. probably seven. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could get to 10. I, I might be able to get to 10 in a, in a session. I just find push-ups very challenging and not so much in my biceps, but more my chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that I was doing a really good job, but John watched me do 10 because one of the days that I was doing them, I wasn't done yet. So we were watching TV before bed and I had to do 25 more push-ups. So I would go and do 10. And he said that I, my butt was in the air a little bit. So I was like, oh, shoot, I thought that I, my back was pretty straight. So I'm trying to be a little bit more conscious of that, getting, making sure that my whole body goes down, you know, and making sure that my head's not sticking out. So I think that I'm going to get better at push-ups, Elise. I think that's amazing. And look at you taking on something that you find challenging and trying to turn it around and get good at it. Yeah, it could happen. I'll let you know. There's a thought popped up while running. We heard Sheila and Elise today talking about how much they enjoy books and that I've been listening to audiobooks. And that includes when I'm out for runs. So I often have some thoughts, some running pop ups about the book when I'm running. And lately I've been listening to the Divergent series by Veronica Roth, which I quite like. And I, I definitely liked it way more than the movie, which is quite different than the books, especially in the end. One thing I liked about it was kind of the relationship side. First of all, it's written in the first person. So usually the main character, whose name is Triss, is, is talking and thinking and describing her perspective. And then in the third book, the, the other main character, Tobias, or he goes by four, 
is saying things from his perspective. And of course, Triss and Four fall in love. And so you see this relationship building is between them and then trying to develop. And parts of it kind of reminded me of Sheila and I. So if you think about young people, these, these people are 16 and 18. I think Veronica Roth did a great job describing the dynamics of a relationship that's growing at that stage. And it was a really great relationship, except because of the craziness of the story they were going through, they both had to lie to each other quite a bit, right? So they would have to lie, and then the other person would find out that there's a lie. And for a lot of us, you know, you just blow a gasket. Both Sheila and I are, let's just say, a little volatile. And when we were younger, it came across more so. What I liked about the book was, there was a couple times when something happened, and it could easily have been a breakup scene. So in one case, Four had done something, and it was pretty unforgivable from Triss's perspective. So Four was waiting for Triss to break up, and they meet at one point, and what, was, what I thought was interesting is they didn't have it out, right? They waited, and Triss essentially said, I need time, I need time. And she took the time and eventually thinking through things more and seeing more things happen. And then that gave her more of an appreciation for what happened. They didn't break up. In fact, their relationship got probably stronger as a result of it. And it sure is a lesson that we've learned over time, whereas we used to just kind of splurt out the first thing that came to our minds. And that didn't always end well, let's just say. It's interesting now how something will happen and I will just not say something because I know if I just wait, it'll work out better. And sometimes I think I see the same look in Sheila's eye where she's like, I have something to say, but I'm not going to say it. And then we go about our business and <laughs> it works out for the better. So nice little lesson from Tris and Four and the Divergent series and Veronica Roth. And I had, was smiling a bit on my run thinking about it. Oh, um, yeah. Just let me say, flip side of the coin. Hello and welcome to Flip Side of the Coin. I'm Stephen here with Elise. Hey, Stephen. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about international food, but really specifically food from our time in South Korea. Yes, it's always so incredible when you spend time in a certain country eating their food, just because it teaches you so much about their culture. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, in Korean culture, Bop is often used as the term for food, and bop literally means rice. So and, interesting. Yeah, and it's because they have rice as one of the components for every meal. Yes. So in a few words, if you had to describe Korean food, how would you describe it? Flavorful, I think, is one. And I think I would describe it as family-style meals, even though that doesn't necessarily describe the food. It more describes the eating experience. Yeah, so the eating experience is unique. Uh, why don't we take a few minutes to just talk about what it's like eating at a restaurant? Of course. So we had spent a year living in South Korea, and that's how we met. And one of my favorite things to do with our group of friends was to go out and eat because meals would often be served in large quantities, and you would be expected to share the meal like a family style. Yeah, absolutely. So if they brought out the barbecue, they would have the grill right in front of you, and the meat would be there. And you'd have it there, and when you cut it, everything was cut using scissors. That was something that was very unique. And it was one person that was expected to cut the food and divvy it up for everyone. Yes, and I loved that you would just cook the food right there at the table. I think it really created a communal aspect to eating. 
Yeah, and speaking of communal aspect and making it a meal, one of the things that I always found interesting is the number of side dishes that were always around. Uh, I think really they could number anywhere from about five small sides to sometimes a dozen sides. And those could be something like some kimchi or some mushrooms or some onions or just small little things. It's not a, a major side, just a small little extra something to add to the meal. And it kind of cleansed your palate too. I found a lot of those side dishes. So you'd be having your meal and you could cleanse your palate with a side dish and then move on to something else. Yeah. And uh, the palate cleansing is so important because one of the words that I think of when I think of Korean food is spicy. I'm going to tell a very short story about my first meal I ever had in South Korea. So I had arrived very late, or you could say very early in the morning <laughs> on a a Saturday night or Sunday morning. And I was taken out by my boss the following day for some lunch at a mall food court. And they had plastic bottles of the different meals. And I'm looking at all of them and I see one and I point to it and say, that looks tasty. So he gets that for me and I'm eating it and I'm just starving. I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty. I'm just eating it. And about halfway through, all of a sudden, I realize that my taste buds are exploding. They're on fire. Yes. Because I am eating the most spicy food I've ever had in my life. And they have these little metal cups that you fill with water. And I'm just downing them one after the other to try to get that flavor, that taste, that heat out of my mouth. And I just can't do it. Just couldn't do it. You needed one of those palate cleansers. I needed one of those palate cleansers. Yeah, but I didn't know about those at the time. I think you you really think that you get used to that heat, but sometimes you don't. I know there was a point for me where I thought, wow, I'm really getting good at eating these spicy food. I want to try something really spicy. So a friend of mine, we went to a restaurant together and it was one of those restaurants where it indicated on the menu just how spicy an item was. So we ordered the most spicy item that we could and we started eating it and it was just involuntary tears streaming down our faces and we had thought we were so tough and had built up that tolerance to the spice but no i think it takes years and years but the crazy thing about the spice or just the thing that i remember about korean food is even if it's something that you didn't like at first after a while you start eating it you just keep eating it and you start craving it yes and that craving continues today please remember that we're not providing advice we hope to inspire you to work towards balance, and we urge you to consult with qualified people if you need advice. The people on the show are speaking in their personal capacities. Their views expressed are their own, and don't represent the views or opinions of their outside contacts, their employers, or anyone else. We try to get things right, but we can't guarantee everything we say is correct, or that the things we talk about will work for you. Let's be well together, and let's be sure to do that in a safe way. It's sign-off time. It's Elise here with Sheila and John. Hello. Hey. Well, it's been a lovely week. We are now in February, and it seems now with February, here comes the sun. Mm, yeah. So that's pretty exciting. I started a new workout program this past week. It's called Strongest Self, and it's offered through the virtual classes that I do online. And it's a strength training program, so I've really been enjoying getting into that. In addition to the strength training, it also has 10 minutes a week of a talk where it teaches you about the exercises that you might be doing or nutrition. Mm. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's a neat addition to the programs that I usually take. 
So I'm looking forward to continuing that four-week program. Oh, cool. How about you, Sheila? Well, I have a little challenge that I'm doing in February, which I talked about on the program this week, the 2000 push-up challenge. So I'm doing 75 push-ups a day and hopefully we'll continue. How many have you done today? I have done 50 today. You got some work to do. I have some work to do. I know. I'm hoping that my life doesn't get in the way of this challenge. (laughs) So we'll see how it goes. But I'm pretty committed when I have a challenge. I, you know, I'll do it. So that is new for me. And I want to talk about our dance lessons. John and I are taking ballroom dance lessons and it is going very well. We only argue half the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's only an argument because you are wrong. No, I'm never wrong. So that's the problem. But anyway, so uh, I'm just like not going to argue with him because he's got a lead. So I got to do what he does. So that's basically how it works. But we're doing very well and we've learned a few dances and we're enjoying it. It's a nice date night thing going on. So that's what's new with me. What's new with you, John? I had a really good week in the fitness side. I was on the treadmill and I finally, I've been slowly working my way up to my intervals because it's hard when you switch from outside to inside to have that energy and it's hotter inside and getting used to the treadmill. But this week, both Tuesday and Thursday, I did the intervals I'm supposed to do and they went really well. And I also did strength a couple times, which is what I'm supposed to do. So the process is working. So I'm really happy about that. I am enjoying the dance more than I expected. And Shill is doing an amazing job, actually, letting me lead and not telling me what to do and letting the teacher be the one to tell me what to do. And I think it's really cool. And I never actually danced. You have to have pretty tight control, your arm around and you're holding pretty tight. I'm not used to dancing like that, but I can feel how it can make a big difference. So that was cool. I also finished reading a really interesting book. So I'm reading lots of books these days, thanks to Libby and audiobooks. And I read one <laughs> called The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Stedman. It happens in Australia. Somebody who just after World War I became a lighthouse person. He, he took care of the lighthouse on a kind of a deserted island, got married. A great job by the author with characters and interesting ones and then twists and turns. And I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? was just amazing. So I really enjoyed that book. Yeah, I'm going to read it next, I think. So hopefully I like it just as much. But he's been thinking about this book and actually every second he has, he's been listening to it. So well, it, it was like, Libby. oh no, what's going to happen? Like, Because the problem is you can predict these really terrible outcomes and to, no, surely that's not going to happen. So then I knew Sheila might read it. So I'd say, I can't tell her what's happening. Just that, oh no. But anyway, I think it ended in a really interesting way. And I'm really glad I read it. Excellent. Anything else, guys? No, we actually had a really busy weekend. I wasn't working this weekend, so we decided to paint our house. So we were doing a bunch of... It was more touch-up. We weren't doing full painting, but over, you know, 10, 8, 10 years, lots of nicks and stuff. And so we were able to do lots of touch-ups. But then again, it's not always that simple. So no. it became a big, bigger project. Yeah. So it took the whole weekend, but we got her done and it looks so nice. It's just nice to have that freshness. So that is something else that's new. Well, thanks everyone for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. I really did. I had a great talk with Ryan Bush. I really enjoyed that one in the boat philosophy. Hopefully you can join us again next week. That is it for today's show. Please try and make wellness a priority. You deserve it. If you feel the need to talk to someone or ask for help, please do that. Accept yourself for the person you are. So long. Adieu. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye.